So you have your Bibles. I want you to get to the book of Ephesians. You're going to be there for a while. And um, I don't know how long. So we just get started. And somebody's like, when are we going to be done? I have no earthly idea. We're just going to go, okay? So we just, we just do it. And um, sometimes I have a plan and then I look at it and I'm like, oh, we need to give that a little more attention or whatever. So we'll, we'll do our best with it. Uh, good morning to y'all. Glad that you're here and uh, get a chance to worship Jesus and to hear from him through his word and then to go out and proclaim to the world that Jesus saves. I want to talk to you this morning about before the foundation of the world. And so you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Now, let, before we dive into the deep end of the pool, let me, uh, let me maybe ramp it up a little bit here and see, see what I can do. Okay, we humans have a tendency to place ourselves on the intellectual throne of the universe and then demand that God give us what we perceive is a reasonable answer for how he works and why he does what he does. Do you understand that tendency in humans? That God owes us an answer and that God owes us to explain himself and that God owes us to make it make sense to us. We, little bitty humans, demand that this mysterious, invisible, eternal God should come to our throne room and tell us what things are and how they work and that we then can say yes that's good or no that's not a good idea somehow some way each of us has to put that kind of thinking aside the book of Ephesians is good for us for that reason if nothing else at least part of this book causes us to walk away holding our heads intellectually and to be logically humbled by God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In verse 3, this first chapter, we start wading into some deep waters of what Paul calls in verse 9, the mystery of his will according to his purpose. The mystery of his will according to his purpose. Mystery of his will according to his purpose. You're not in that sentence and I'm not either. Okay, so we're going to just bring ourselves down a little bit today. And we're going to let God be God for a few moments. Now, for those of you that, I know we have some school teachers in here. Um, so let me just horrify you for a moment. Verse 3 through 14 is one sentence in Greek. One sentence. One. Can you imagine? Paul would have failed English 101. I mean, you know, what a mess. Yeah, he didn't speak in English anyway, but that's a different issue. So one long sentence. So don't worry. I, I just, I looked at that. but there is no way. I, how do you, so thankfully, you know, we've come along with the translation. We put a few, uh, you know, uh, some grammatical markings in there and some periods and commas and so on and so forth to make it a little easier for us to digest. But just understand, it's one long thought, okay? Perhaps the longest sentence in history, Ripley's Believe It or Not, okay? So probably there it is. So uh, we're just going to look at verse 3 and 4 today. How about that of this one long sentence? And we're going to be talking about <clears throat> uh, before the foundation of the world and the blessings that we have in Christ 
and that are ours because of something that God did before the foundation of the world. Now, I hope that there are two outcomes here, really two things that I'm aiming at, and hopefully uh, you'll get one or both of these from this message. One is this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will learn to rest in not the impeccability of your faith in Him, but in the immutable purpose of God in choosing you to belong to Him. Switch your faith from your faith and place your faith in Him. Stop doubting yourself because self can't do it anyway. And put your faith in the one who chose. Sometimes we pick our choice apart because we're afraid that it's not perfect. It wasn't. We're afraid that it may have had some mixed motives. It probably did. We're afraid that our choice of Jesus wasn't strong enough. It wasn't. We're afraid that our choice of Jesus was flawed in some way. It was. And so we start looking at that and, oh, dear God, I'm not saved. You're looking at the wrong place. You're putting your faith in your faith. That's not the issue. Your faith is in the one who chose you, not your choice of him. Okay, that's where your faith has to rest, is in that choice. Now, that's the first thing. So I, I want you to learn to rest in his immutable purpose in choosing you. And secondly, I want you to become overwhelmingly enraptured with God and his genius and his purpose and his unfailing plan for the salvation of his people. And so... Knowing those things, I just want to start off with this one thing, that the gospel is all blessing. Just blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. It is one blessing upon top of another. That's the gospel. And so thank God that we have the gospel. Now, so let me, t I just want to look at this, the, the, the blessings here of being a Christian, really. And it's because of what God did before the foundation of the world. So... If you look at verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The author of the Christian's blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the author of the blessings that we have of salvation? It is God himself. He's the author of this. Now notice his identity. He's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now so we know that he is the creator. So he, that, that is this God. The God of Genesis 1-1 is this God of whom we speak. And so we know that he's the creator. But for the follower of Jesus, he is also the savior. Now listen to what Psalm 145-10 tells us about God. All your works shall give Thanks to you, O Lord. And secondly, listen to this. And all your saints shall bless you. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. All of creation praises and thanks God. Only his saints bless God. You see, the angels in heaven praise God. But you know that they don't ever bless him until revelation after they hear the saints singing and blessing the lamb. Then they join and go, okay, we'll help you with that. Why is that? Because to bless God here means, it literally means to speak well of him. About what are we speaking well of God? What, what is the topic here? 
We're speaking well of him because he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless in him. That we should be adopted. And that we should have redemption to the praise of his glorious grace. And so all of these blessings of salvation, we bless God. We speak well of him about these things. The devils in hell cannot bless God. They can confess Jesus as Lord, but they can't bless him. The angels in heaven can praise him, but they can't bless him. Why? Because only the saints of all of creation, only the saints have experienced salvation in Christ. That which was given to us by God before the foundation of the world is ours and ours alone. And so we speak well of him about those things. Oh, wouldn't it be a good thing if the saints would come in on Sunday mornings at church and stop talking about all the bad things they've heard on Fox News and instead turn their thoughts toward the one who has blessed them with all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. That's what we have to talk about that nobody else can talk about and understand at all. You can take some guy that's a Ph.D. from Harvard and he doesn't know how to bless God because he knows not the first thing about salvation in Christ. Not one thing. Speak highly of him. Say good things about God. What good things? This God has perfectly and unfailingly saved all those he intended to save. None he intends to save will be lost. God shall not fail with one single individual in his salvation plan not one not one and we bless him for that we speak highly of him about that you know what Dan is doing he's trying to get us to say good things about God some of you sit back there like this I ain't saying nothing about good good about God because I don't like his song good for you are you have you been a Christian that long you're still that petty still that stinking petty You know what I've learned to do as a pastor? Ignore petty. Just ignore it. Come and tell me something petty and just watch me go, okay. I know it's not very pastoral, is it? I mean, you really want me to go, oh, really? Well, we, we we don't want you to be uncomfortable here. This is Burger King. Have it your way. Really? I know some of you hate me because of stuff like that that I just did. I know you hate that. I know you do. But it's the reason I keep doing it, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I've always had this devious streak in me. I don't know what that is. And so I've always been that way. And so some of you have learned that there's nothing to do but laugh. I mean, there's just nothing to do but laugh. And so that's just it. And some of you go here and you have, you have your feathers ruffled like, you know. A buzzard that's been fly, flying the wrong way in the wind. But I don't know what to tell you. Okay. So his identity. This is the God. This is the one that we're blessing. Now look at his activities. Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now. We bless God. We say good things about God. But that's all we can do. What does God do? He blesses us. What does that mean? He does something. You see, our blessing of God is to say good things about him. God's blessing of us is to do something for us. And the, his blessing us is the reason we bless him. The good that he's done for us, it is the reason why that we in turn say good things about him. What are the good things he's done? Well, note our union with Christ 
the nature of all these blessings. These first three chapters, the book of Ephesians, it's just going to be here's one gospel blessing after another gospel blessing after another gospel blessing after another gospel blessing. And for all of these things, we in turn bless him and we say good things about him always. The author of, a Christians, of the Christian's blessing is the almighty God himself. Now, the agent of these blessings, how do they get to us? Verse 3 tells us that in Christ, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, the agent of the Christian's blessing is Christ himself. What is his relation to the Father? Notice, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can it be that Jesus is deity, but yet here the Father is called his God? Do you notice that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is that saying? Well, that if we're speaking of the humanity of Jesus, when Jesus was walking on this earth, the Father is his God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? When he, after his resurrection, what does he say to the ladies? He said, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So, and as is speaking of his humanity, while he's walking on here on this earth and living out his human nature, what we find is that God is his father. But notice also that it said that he is his God, but here also he's his father. His father in what way? Well, then we're speaking of the deity of Jesus. Because the father is uniquely the father of the son in a way that he's not the father of the saints. You see, the father is the father of the son by nature. The father is the father of the saints by adoption. We don't belong to the same category as the son as far as essence and what we are. We are merely human. He's divine. We're just men and women. But he is the eternal son. Eternally begotten of the father. There's been no beginning and no ending of his being begotten by the father. Forever connected to the father is the son. This is why when Jesus called God his father. That the Jews wanted to stone him. Because he said in the Greek. He is uniquely my father in a way. That he could never be your father. And so. They wanted to stone him because he made himself God, they said, of Jesus. So when we're speaking of the humanity of Jesus, everyone knows Jesus has two natures, right? The Son of God being divine, being deity. And when he condescends and wraps himself in humanity, takes on human nature as well, human soul. And so as two natures bonded together, they don't mix, but they're bonded together and it is one being Jesus Christ. But as speaking of his humanity. The father is his God. But speaking of his deity. God is his father. And so that's why it says these things. His relationship is that way. Now we look at scriptures like Romans 9.5. And it talks about to the Jews. To them belong the patriarchs. And from the race. Listen to this. According to the flesh. Is the Christ. Speaking of his humanity. Who is God over all, blessed forever. Speaking of his deity in one verse. 
You see, <clears throat> almost all of the problems that we've had in Christianity, there'd be some people that try to deny one or two things about Jesus, either his humanity or his deity. Those are the ones that are always... And so it's interesting that if you look back at the... At, at when we have uh, times we have, you know, the Council of Nicaea and Council of Chalcedon and so on and so forth. You look at these things and they can never explain Jesus. They can never explain it. But they can tell you what it's not. They can tell you who he isn't. They don't explain the Trinity. But they tell you what it's not. And so they fight off heresy in that way. But they come to the place where they say. And that's as far as we can explain about it. Because human minds cannot go any further. And so we're willing to bow to that and say yes. I don't have to explain how Jesus is one being with two natures. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to explain how it all works. All I have to do is believe it. It's who he is. Now look at his relationship not just to the Father, but his relationship to the saints who has blessed us in Christ. Those who have been bonded to Christ. This word in Christ. I told you last time, and I'm sure it did not escape your memory ever, uh, that in Christ, all the way through the book of Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, this mysterious union this life bonded to life, the life of the believer and the life of Christ bonded together and now inseparable, bonded together with gorilla glue. I mean, just together in Christ, this union that we have with him is the key to all things. And here we see that it is the key to gaining these blessings of salvation, being bonded to him, being in Christ by the eternal purpose of God. Which then brings about repentance and faith in the life of the believer. You say, well, this thing of in Christ, is it, it's a New Testament thing. Well, absolutely not. It's in the Old Testament as well. Let me just one example. Psalm 72, 17 tells us that people are blessed, speaking of the Messiah, in him. That bond to Jesus. Now, this is not just a, a bond of brotherhood. It's not an emotional uh, bond, even though it does have emotions in it. It is the Holy Spirit of God in the new birth taking you and bonding you to Christ, life to life. Now, His life is in you. And so, therefore, that is the reason you shall never die. That's the reason that you shall be resurrected. That is the reason why your soul will be today with Him in paradise the day that you die when you leave this body. is because you're united with Christ. That's the reason. That's how you get there. That's how it happens. Now, some people wonder this. I get this one. Okay, Pastor, and no matter, it just like, no matter how many times I explain this, it just seems like it never takes. But people ask me, okay, Pastor, how do the Old Testament saints, how could they be saved before Jesus came into the world and, and, and go to heaven? They didn't have the privileges of, of the gospel clarity like we have. So how did that happen? How could they? Jesus had not even died on the cross yet. So how in the world could they possibly go to heaven when they die? I just want to answer that with this question to you. Have you not read? Do, do you not read your Bible? Isaiah 49, we see in just that one chapter of the Bible that there is a covenant agreement 
Before Jesus came into the world, there's a covenant agreement between the Father and the Son. The Son promises to pay for the sins of the elect. And the Father agrees to pardon based upon the promise of the Son. And His promise is as good as His deed. He's trustworthy. That's how it happens. It doesn't have to happen yet in history for it to be reality. Because God has promised. So here we have the agent of the Christian's blessing is, is whom? How does it get to us? It's, it's Christ. It's Christ himself. And our union with Christ is what applies it to our lives. And so now our union with him, this mysterious union that's brought about by the Spirit of God that unites us life to life to Jesus. That's what brings the blessing because they're all his. And whoever gets the son gets it all, gets everything. That's how you get the blessing of forgiveness and adoption and redemption and assurance and communion. You get all the blessings of the gospel in him. The only two kinds of people, those are in him, those who are not. Only two kinds. The world is fixated on identities right now. What's your ancestry and who owes me because of it? Listen, I'm a hick from Appalachia. I think everybody probably owes me something. Y'all, y'all, y'all been ugly all my life. Yeah, because you don't like my accent and stuff like that. You think I'm ignorant. Might be stupid, but I'm not ignorant. Okay. So, you know, everybody's wanting an identity now. I'm this, I'm that. And we we want to change genders around. I'm this gender and that gender, and we've got about twenty eight of them now, and that and this and that. And you know, I'm from here and there, and I'm this kind of ethnicity. And there are only two identities, though, in those in Christ and those not. There's only two kinds. When you get to hell, no 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 devil is gonna care whatsoever. What wrong was done to your ancestors? None. Man, you, 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 people are just looking at the wrong thing right now. Terribly. And the devil's loving it because everybody's distracted from reality. Everybody's distracted from it. There's only one victim that ever mattered and his name was Jesus. So here we have, the. I've got a lot to say about stuff, but I'll, give you, I'll tell you. The agent of the Christian's blessing is in verse 3. Now, look at the application of the Christian's blessing. Look what happens and, and how it came to us. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then the words in love, I believe, really go to verse 5. And we'll pick that up next time. But that we should... Be holy and blameless before him. If you have a translation that has in love, uh, that he chose us in him, in love or something like that, that's okay too. Because that's also true. So don't sweat that. Remember, the Greek New Testament has no punctuation. Thank God somebody came along and said, let's give this a try. So the application of the Christian's blessing, verse 4. Okay, so the, the word he chose us, chose us in him, the word chose there is elect, elected. And it means to choose for oneself. And he chose us. It's not someone chose about him or whatever. He chose us. 
And that is, it's in the middle voice. He chooses for his own purposes and for his own benefit. He chose us. Okay? In him, before the foundation of the world. Okay, so... What is the point of our election, even as he chose us in him before the foundation? When did it happen? Before the foundation of the world. Now, let me, let me go ahead and, and help your mind just absolutely become radioactive. Are you ready? Before the foundation of the world. That's the best that we can do in human language. Reality. There was really no point ever in eternity when God chose it just is God doesn't work on a timeline he doesn't work by chronology remember he invented time for our sake God's never operated on a watch or a clock that's not it but he has to speak to us in a way that we can somehow grasp and so what he's trying to say is this Go back as far as your mind could possibly go. To the beginning, before the beginning, before the beginning. Whenever that was, you were chosen. There's not even, get this now, please get this in your heart and mind. There's not any hint in this scripture that God looked down through time and saw who would believe and decided to choose them. This is not based upon anything. Not one single thing in a human. Nothing. It's based solely upon Him and Him alone. Who gives God counsel? No one. Who advises God? No one. Who sets the parameters for whom God will choose? No one. God alone makes his own choices and he doesn't need your advice on how to make them. This is all God and nothing else. You didn't exist. Nothing in the world exists. There was nothing, nothingness everywhere. And God had chosen already. Go back to the furthest point in eternity that we could possibly go back to with whatever numbers we could come up with. And God had already chosen before the foundation of the world. God doesn't look down through history and see people that are going to believe and decide to choose them. He does not respond to us. We respond to Him. He doesn't respond to our choice. We respond to His it is God who is God, not humans. Before the foundation of the world, according to his purpose. Now, here's the thing, here's the problem that people have with election. That God chooses some and doesn't choose the others. And so he's like, oh, this is terrible. What kind of God is this? He's so cruel, he's so mean. Ah, and they just lose their minds. Here's the problem that people have. They're thinking about this the wrong way. Here's, here's the picture they have in mind about election. That all the people in the world are scrapping and clawing and trying to get into heaven. And God's going, no, you're not elect. You get back. You get back. And so that God is up there trying to send people to hell and trying to keep them from getting to heaven. You get back. No, you're not elect. You're not getting in. 
And they have this picture that that's humanity. The mass of humanity is just running and trying to storm the gates of heaven. But God is keeping some of them back because he doesn't want them. That's not reality. What's really happening in the world is all of humanity is running away from God as fast as they can and plunging toward hell as fast as they can. And God in His grace reaches out and grabs some. That's what's going on. And you cannot in any way disparage God because He chooses to save some. What He ought to do is let us all plunge into the abyss. That's what He ought to do. Here's the other thing. People think about predestination election. They think, well, it's God forcing people. I have never met a Christian that said, man, I was just forced. What, tell me about your salvation experience. God has forced me. I, I can't stand this stuff, but I was forced. I, I was interrogated, waterboarded, and everything. And finally, I said yes to Jesus. So let me give you an embarrassing situation that's not embarrassing for me, but it's embarrassing for my wife. And so pray for my marriage. Let me talk to you about election for a moment. So my wife and I first met in college. I thought she was super pretty. But I, for some reason I was under the impression that she already had a boyfriend. I had no interest in getting involved in that. I'm like, no, not me. And uh, so I just don't do that kind of thing. So um, I thought it was way too much trouble. I'm not getting involved in that. And one of my buddies even said, yeah, man, you know, I think she's taken. Don't. And I said, okay, cool, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm out. Well, uh, I didn't know this, but she didn't have a boyfriend. And um, she wondered what was wrong with me, like I wasn't, you know, pursuing. So I just didn't pursue her at all. Little did I know that behind the scenes she was manipulating, conniving, you know, like women do. And um, she just happened would show up everywhere I was at, you know, like there she is. And um, made sure that I saw her everywhere. And uh, I never did ask her out. I'm like, I'm not getting involved in that, man. I know the dude. I thought she was her, her boyfriend. I'm like, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm just not doing it. And um, so one day, uh, I'm at a football game. This lady comes, uh, walk across the way, and she comes to me, and she says, um, you know, uh, I have somebody you need to ask out. I said, okay. And she pointed to who the lady is now my wife and said, you need to ask her out. And I said, okay. And she said, if you ask her, she's going. I went, okay. And so I, I did. And so one date led to another, and we got married. Okay, so here's my question. Was I forced? Obviously, she chose me. I mean, seriously. She, she chose me. I, listen, listen this, is, this sounds terrible, but if it would have been today's world, she would have been a stalker. Okay, so she, she, she chose me. I, I had no idea. I, I didn't know what all was going on. There was all kinds of stuff, her little girl village and stuff, all kinds of things going on. I had no idea what was going on. And so they're all working and everything. And so when we got married, I didn't say to the, to the preacher, well, I'm being forced here. I guess I got to. I loved her. I chose her, but I would have to say the relationship started because she chose me. Do you understand? I mean, that, that's a human example, but do you understand? That's how God has worked in your life if you belong to Jesus. It's because he chose you that you eventually came to love him.
That's what. You say, well, it took away my power of choice. No, it didn't. You were choosing all your life. You've been choosing no to Jesus by your own free will. It is God who worked and stirred in your heart so that you would realize that you were his choice and that you would choose him. Now, you say, well, is, uh, I mean, is grace irresistible? I know some of you say, well, you know, God shows his grace to us and you can still say no. I think you're wrong. When you get a taste of the grace of God and recognize his choice of you, a flawed, depraved, twisted sinner that had been rebelling against him all of your life, and he reaches out and chooses you. Are you going to tell me, go, I know things, I like the devil better. Come on, people. Now, look, I could have said no to my wife, but why? Nobody in their right mind. I mean, no man in his right mind is going to go, nah, it's all right. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so when God opens your eyes to the beauty of Christ and what he's done for you, and all, he's doing that because he's chosen you, and you see that, what does your heart do? Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ will give you light. And so then you begin to see Jesus for who he is. Just, yes, I want Christ. And you, what do you do? You come down the aisle just crying like a little girl. I need Jesus. Why is that? Because you've been overwhelmed by his loving choice of you. That's how salvation works, you all. That's how it works. You mean people don't have any choice? No, they have choice. We've all been given choice. And we're so stinking, twisted, and rebellious, we just choose the devil. We just keep choosing him. And self and sin, we love it. More of it. Give me some more of that. And that's how we live. Well, the point of election and the purpose. What, now, why, why does God do this? What's he trying to get? What's, he, what's his end game? Well, he tells us what it is. I mean, God's not trying to hide anything. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, let me help us with a little bit here. I, I know talking about eternal things has a time limit. So... I'm sorry, y'all. I, I, I struggle so bad to, to talk about the deep things of God in a hurry. Uh, I know I need to hurry up. The purpose of our election, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, uh, uh, I mean, just a simple way to put this. God chose you not just to get you out of hell, but to get hell out of you. Right? It, he, he's look, we sang a song a minute ago talking about many brothers. That, that's what Jesus wants many of his, in his likeness to be there with him in heaven. That's, that's the end game. That's the goal. <clears throat> that we would reflect the image of God. He, would, he made us in the image of God. We have marred it. We've de de defaced it. <clears throat> and so now, the restoration of the image of God in Christ. And so now, we want to reflect him. And so that's what he's looking at. Those that would reflect the very image, the very nature of, of Christ himself. The moral nature of Christ. Who would reflect that back? And so those that he cho chooses, he chooses not just for justification that you'd be pardoned from sin, but also for sanctification that you would become more and more and more like Christ. His people. <clears throat> now, to be holy means to be set apart. It means to be different. Holiness is a progressive thing in the life of a Christian, but it also is an inevitable thing. You will not reach 
that destination in this life, but you will reach it eventually. If you are on the road to reaching it, that guarantees that you will reach it. Everybody wins in holiness. Everybody. All God's people all become holy. They're holy by their position, by their appointment to God. They are becoming holy by sanctification of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And they will eventually, when they get on the other side, be holy. That is distinct. So distinct in every way from the rest of humanity because of their union with Christ. And then blameless. No one will be able to bring a single charge against you. Do you ever feel like this? I don't know if it's my conscience or I don't know if it's the devil. But both of them will tell me true things sometimes. You are this and this and this and look what you've done. You've done that and you've done that and you keep doing that and doing this and this and this and these things. And you're just sitting there thinking, good grief. And my first response is to fight that. Like, well, the reason that happened was because of this. And I always find somebody to blame, you know, like a deacon or something. And, and so, you know, blah, and you go through all that. And then and finally I just come to this place. I'm like, wait a minute. This is all true about me. It's all true. All, all of these charges, if I, if I just have to stand before a judge, they would all stick. Every one of them. So... There's truth being said here. But the issue is that in Christ, none of the charges stick. Because they've already been nailed to a cross, you see. They've already been nailed, and I, I, I don't have to answer for those things. And here's the thing. I want you to, I want you to get this, if, if I can say it correctly. And I, I, I was struggling this week to try to think of how to say this the right way, but it says that we may be holy and blameless before Him, right? Do you see that? Before Him. Now, here, here's what I want you to know about, about these words here, uh, before Him, just those two words, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll move to the end of this thing. So, before Him. This, these words do not mean that Christ will be standing over you with this gaze. I mean, I gave you like, what, what, 40 years of being saved and this is all you got. This is sorry. You're probably the sorriest one. I mean, I've been up here, I've been up here looking at Christians now for the last thousand years and now you take the cake. You're definitely the worst one. Somebody... Somebody get out their cell phone and get, get a selfie with this one. Terrible, terrible Christian. Worst I've ever seen. I, see this, I died for you and you did that. That's not what this means. Here's what it means. Because you're in him. He looks down at you and says, here's one father. Holy and blameless. Come on. Next. Tyler, you're up. Holy and blameless. Terry Taylor, you're up. Holy and blameless. Look at these, Father. Look at all of these. Look at the saints. They're holy and blameless just like you planned. Look at this. Hey, demons in hell, look at this. I got all these people holy and blameless. You thought you'd get them all, but no, sir. Look at all of these. Holy and blameless before Him. That's your destiny, dear Christian. That's, that's where you're going. That's what you're becoming. 
And some of you are so hard on yourself right now, and we all should be, man, we're the worst sinners. I mean, we're the worst bunch in Chillicothe. Just, let's, let's put it like it is. And we go along, we're trying to live for the Lord, and we fail, and we try to... And, and we, should, we should say to ourselves, that's just terrible. But when you repent, and when you get up, I want you to look up. Because the day is coming when that will be over. You will no longer be groveling in the dust, but you will be standing before your Savior as he announces, holy and blameless in me. That's where you're going. Now, dear Christian, I want to just say this. One last thing to you and to me. All I wanted to do today was really this. Help you and to help me to see the magnanimous, magnificent grace of God towards sinners. It is unfathomable. It's surprising. It's shocking. I'd even call it amazing, really. Now, this is a word to those who are not in Christ. You are living your life in yourself and for yourself. You may be sitting there right now saying, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm one of the elect or not, so I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Are you ready? Repent and believe the gospel. Just do it. So I don't know if I can. Of course you can't. Do it anyway. Will God help me? If you'll do it, he's helping you. What, what does that mean? Simply this. You must reject the life in which you are Lord. And turn to Jesus as Lord. God, I'm not Lord. You're Lord. No longer live as if I'm Lord. I'm going to live as if you're Lord. Having settled that, what do you do about all that sinfulness? The soul that sins, it will die. The wages of sin is death. Judgment is coming. What do I do about that, Lord? Christ has already done it for you. You do nothing. You just trust him. You just trust him. Well, it's hard to trust him. No, it's not hard to trust him. You trust invisible things all the time. All the time. You trust whatever the pharmacist puts in that bottle. You don't know what it is. You go to Walgreens or CVS or Kroger's and you put a little piece of paper to them and they give you a bottle of God knows what. You trust it, right? And just do it. You do it all the time. Some of you have been married, you know, you, you have a wedding, you trust it. You don't, you can't see all that. You just trust it. You trust invisible things like that all the time. Things you can't control. Why in the world would you not trust a Savior who's died for you? Why not? And so you trust what he did for you on the cross. And you just promise to live for him by his strength, by his power. And those are the ones he's chosen from before the foundation of the world. I hope you're one of those. Why don't you find out? Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for the mystery of your will according to your purpose. And Lord, um, we dare not 
even for a moment, pretend to think that we understand it all or that we have a grasp on it. But Lord, what we do say to you today and what you've done, why you do it, how you do it is just this. Amen. Even so, let it be according to your will. Father, I ask today for those who are not followers of Jesus that by the working and power of the Spirit of God, you would stir in their hearts and let it be a glad choice of Jesus today, a joyful, relieving, glad choice of the Savior. And let them find today that they were chosen by Him before they ever had a thought about Him. Father, I pray for those followers of Jesus that are here today that often struggle with and doubt about salvation. Lord, may they find firm footing in these words chosen before the foundation of the world and just rest in it. Father, I pray for your followers here today, Jesus, the saints of God, the multiple failures and sins that we commit, and we have a tendency to want to just quit or just stop or to do it halfway or just what does it matter? Give us a renewed vision of that day when we stand before you, not in guilt, but in approval and freedom, holy and blameless in you. Let that motivate us to live for you, Lord. Let that motivate us to love you more deeply. Stir in our hearts that our faith would be white hot and that our lives be lives of peace and love for the world. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.